only 2% of women-owned businesses grossed more than a million dollars a year. That was a really shocking statistic for me, and it's made me now for the last couple of years really feel very passionate about the subject of women in business and why aren't women starting and creating businesses that are bigger. Some of the greatest ideas for a business come from solving a problem the founder has personally experienced. If it is a solution that can impact the lives of a large number of people, the idea has a real chance of being a success. Sarah Kugelman's personal experience with anxiety and the impact of stress on her skin led her to create the remarkable vegan, cruelty-free, natural skincare line, Skin Iceland. Coming up, you'll hear how a vacation inspired the name of the line and what makes it more than just the name. The challenges of importing ingredients overseas and finding a chemist who actually shared Sarah's vision for the line. How she approaches bringing new products into the line and knowing when some products have run their course. The moments when Sarah knew she had made it. What she did to keep the business alive at a pivotal do or die moment. How Sarah adapted traditional marketing techniques to succeed in the current marketing climate and how she deals with stress now that she has built a big business with a big future. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Sarah, thank you so much for being here with us today. We're so excited for our listeners to hear your incredible story and how you started Skin Iceland. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you today. I know you started this business out of your own personal journey with stress and anxiety. Can you share with us how Skin Iceland really came to be? I mean, it really came from this personal passion of being really stressed, um, feeling like everybody I knew was also experiencing the same level of stress, seeing how it affected my health and then seeing it all show on my skin and wanting to understand that connection between that day-to-day stress and what was actually happening on my skin. And take us back to this time period in your life. What was going on? And when you had this aha moment to start this company, how did you take the first steps? So I was going a million miles a second, which hasn't really changed that much, but um, I was, you know, not eating the right things. I was traveling all the time. I was sleeping five hours a night and, you know, just multitasking and juggling a million things. Where were you working at this point? Um, I was working um, for a beauty company Mm -hmm. in marketing and um, I was working, you know, doing skincare and makeup and, um, and I literally just like wore my immune system down until I just got really sick and I had to take a leave of absence from work. Wow. And I noticed during that time, I had a lot of time to think during those three months. Um, and, you know, during that time, my doctor said to me, if you don't learn to manage your stress, you're not going to live to see 40. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so that was a huge wake up call for me. And I noticed during that time when I was um, experiencing all this stress and problems with my health, that it was all showing on my skin. So a few years later, as I, uh, when I was actually at Estee Lauder and I was working in tre- the trend department, um, I really became very interested in the whole connection between stress and skin and wellness and lifestyle. And I decided to leave and study the whole connection between stress and skin with a team of doctors and experts. 
So after you had your leave of absence, you actually did return to work. Yes. What was it like quitting your job? When did you decide, okay, I'm going to just pursue Skin Iceland full time? Um, Well, you know, this is my second company. So I'd been an entrepreneur once before. I'd started an internet company and I sold that to Estee Lauder. So while I was at Lauder, you know, I always had a little bit of that bug to be an entrepreneur again. But as sort of, I got to year three, you know, I had a lot of entrepreneurs coming to me and asking for advice. And I just felt like I have to do my own thing again. That's just more my nature. And so um, I, you know, I decided, you know, I was going to start on that journey and I wanted to do something that I felt really passionate about. And this was something that was really wrapped in my own experience. And I was already on this sort of pathway and journey to getting healthy and learning about wellness. And so I thought, well, if I could sort of combine that with what I was doing professionally and obviously beauty and skincare was like the core of my expertise, it would be sort of an amazing thing. And I also just felt like it was something that was so necessary to start that dialogue with other women who were also, you know, stressed out and seeing the effects of that in their, not only on their skin, but in their health and the way they were feeling. Did you raise money when you started this business? I did not. Um, I self-funded the business to start with, and I did raise money from friends and family a little bit later. How far Um, in was that? That was probably, like, I would say within the first year to two, I I did that. Um, And then about two years later, two two to three years later, I I raised money um, from an angel investor. And where did the name Skin Iceland come from? So... Um, I was trying to think of a of a good name for the line, and um, while I was developing the products, I went to Iceland on vacation with my sister, and I completely fell in love with it because I, it sort of epitomized for me everything that I was trying to do with Skin Iceland. Like here I was in New York City, I was all stressed and I was polluted and dirty and busy, and then I went to Iceland. It was like clean and fresh and calm and organic and beautiful. And so it sort of became the inspiration for Skin Iceland, and. Um, Then I started researching more about the botanicals and the glacial waters, and I ended up importing those ingredients um, to create this proprietary complex that's now in each and every one of the products in the line. How do you figure out how to import products from another country? What is that process like? Um, It's not so easy. Um, Doesn't sound easy. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you go direct to the source, and then sometimes you can work with like a supplier here. I mean, do you just Google the name of a supplier? Like, how do you find the person to contact? I mean, it's literally, sometimes I just go through my network. Like, sometimes I'll call, like, ingredient suppliers. Sometimes I'll call product development people I know. Sometimes I'll literally, like, I um, initially went to the Icelandic Chamber of Commerce and asked them for their advice. Now we have a distributor over there, so sometimes I'll ask her, like, through her contacts. It's been, like, a million different ways that I've found contacts over there. But, you know, Iceland's a small country. So when you sort of meet a few people, then they introduce you to people. And so now I have a network of people over there that I use. But um, just, you know, it's an interesting story, but just get to go back to your question about how we na- I named the line Skin Iceland. I was literally on the computer and I was putting in all these words um, in English and having them spit them out as Icelandic words. And I was like putting in stress and skincare. And I put in the word senses and it came up as skin, S-K-Y-N. Oh, wow. And since the line was all about skin in your senses, that's how I got to skin. And Meant then to be. Oh, yeah. Meant Meant to be. How did you decide what were the first products to make? Did you work with chemists? How did you find them? Well, I traveled all over the country interviewing chemists because that was obviously hugely important. And I needed to find somebody not only who was a great chemist, but also 
was on the same page as me, like that we clicked and we had the same vision. And, you know, you sort of want a chemist to be like your right hand, like you speak and they finish the sentence. And so it was like, not not to make a play on words, but I had to find the right chemistry with the person. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so I finally um, connected with this woman who was amazing. And she's not only just great at the formulation, but she sort of has a marketing brain too. And she sort of got my concept right off the bat. And so she was great at not only coming up with really new and interesting ingredients, but I wanted the line to be clean and healthy and, you know, things like paraben-free. And at, this mm. t- at that time, this was was like 2004. Nobody was really talking about that or doing that. You know, when I said I wanted to do a paraben-free skincare line, all the chemists looked at me like I had three heads and they're like, well, how are you going to preserve your products? And I thought, well, we'll find a way. And I had a lot of other criteria like that, that I wanted to formulate the products around. And it was very hard at that time to do that. So I found, you know, this chemist who also shared that um, sort of like, I guess, viewpoint with me and was able to do that. That's awesome. So what was the first product? So I actually developed, because I just never take the easy route, I I actually (laughs) developed seven products to start all at the same time. Um, But it was sort of like a full regimen. It was a cleanser, a moisturizer, a night cream, an eye cream, um, a mask a face mist, and then a product that you sprayed in your under your tongue. It was like a sublingual spray that relaxed you without making you tired. Wow. And do you still have all of those same products? I know you have so many new ones. We have, um, I think, four of the seven. And how do you decide when, you know, you're going to either launch a new product or when a certain product has to go away? We launch new products pretty much twice a year. So we either launch anywhere from two to four, but like in that spring and fall timeline. And then typically we'll discontinue a product if it's not selling well. Um, You know, like we launch it and the customer's just like doesn't gravitate towards it. Um, And then, you know, typically we launch new products based on not only the timeline, but like if I find something that I'm just really excited about, like if I test something or try something and I can't put it down, I always want to use it, then I know I'm onto something really good. Uh, and when did the eye gels come come to be? Because those are probably one of my favorites of, of your products. I love them all. Uh, but those definitely relax me after a stressful day. I'm like, where are my eye gels? Nice they're like the do. I know. They're like the do-it-all product. They like make you look great. They get you to relax. We should be sitting here with them all over our Instagram. I know. I need to remember to bring stress relief with me everywhere. But I – it's an it's an interesting story because we did not launch those with the initial line. Um, the eye cream was in the initial lineup, and the eye cream was by far and away our number one seller. And I wanted to do a line extension within the eye category, and so I launched the eye gels. And this is in 2006, and they just did not work at all. Like, they just did not catch on. And um, I think partially it was the moment in time people were like, why do I need an eye patch? And why would I need that extra step? And why would I spend money or take the time to do this extra step? It was like a hard sell. And at the time, we um, had them packaged in a box of six for $45. So a couple, like a year or two later, you know, one, one of our retailers was trying to encourage us to discontinue them. And I just love the product so much. And so one of the people that was working with me suggested, like, why don't we repackage it and reprice it? Maybe that'll help catapult it. So we put it in this Mylar bag, which is really fun. 
We changed the price to $30 and we added two more. So it was like eight for $30. And around the same time, I got a call from the producer of The Doctors. And she was like, I was in Sephora. Your product was recommended to me. I love it. And I'd love to put it on The Doctors. So we ended up putting the eye gels on The Doctors and the rest is history. The product just like took off after that. And it is definitely a cult favorite, kind of a gold standard in the mouth category and definitely our, our top selling product. And they're so cooling and so relaxing. And I always, it always makes me stop when I see a celebrity uh, posting a picture of them on Instagram. I was like, are those Skin Iceland? I'll tag Skin Iceland just to be sure. Because you've had some copycats come out. You were the first. We definitely have had some copycats. But we have really special and unique technology, I will say. You know, we've kind of studied our technology and why it's different than some of our competitors. And it really is unique um, and just the way it's made and the way the gel is applied to the fabric and how we infuse it with certain ingredients. So it really is different. Was there a moment in the first few years of your business when you, you know, stopped yourself and you were like, oh my gosh, this is it. I've created something incredible. You know, this is not going to fail. We're going to keep going. Do you remember any moments like that? I mean, I definitely had a lot, have had a lot of pinch me moments along the way. I think there were, there were some times in the early years when I felt like, wow, I'm really doing this. And I can't, you know, like when we launched at Sephora, I remember seeing it on the shelf in Sephora and feeling like, oh, I can't believe I created that. And it's like in a store and people are buying it. Um, and then, you know, you see it on TV or you hear a, 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 like a celebrity talk about it. And the first time that happens, it is like an amazing feeling. Who was that first big celebrity? Do you remember? Well, I remember, um, we got, you know, all of the orders, all of the web orders used to come to me. So I used to see every single person who purchased and I saw an order come through. It's the actress from Thelma and Louise. Um, and I saw the order That's come amazing. through from her and I was like, I wonder if this is the actual person. And Susan she, Sarandon? Yeah, Susan Sarandon. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh my gosh, she just went online and purchased my product. That was really like Did the you reach first out to her? celebrity. No, because yeah. I was really, really good at that point. I, I was like, you know, I had her email and everything and I was like, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna betray that privacy. And I never, ever, this is the first time I think, and this was, you know, 14 years ago that I mentioned that she ever purchased something in her line. Well, we'll have to send this episode to her. You'll have yeah. to tag her in the post <laughs> and say you talked all about her. <laughs> so it's definitely a moment for me. Uh, what's really interesting is that you started your company because you were feeling very, very stressed. And as entrepreneurs, we're often very stressed. I can say that this year is probably the most stressful year of all of our years in business. What are your tips now to manage stress? I, I, my list of managing stress keeps getting longer and longer <laughs> because for sure the stress never go, goes away. And I think a lot of people approach me and think like, oh, you've mastered living a stress-free life. No, no, no. It is a constant battle. And I think to, for me too, the stress continues to multiply somehow. Um, I think, you know, part of it is personality, you know, like if you're a type A person, you sort of get attracted to multitasking. But I think also it's just the time that we're living in, you know, with social media and our phones and, you know, women working and having so many choices. It's just, I think it's part of the, the, the age that we live in. But, you know, I do think that there's a lot of ways that you really can address stress and try to reduce it, whether it's, you know, you can go all out and spend a lot of money and go, you know, to a spa for a week and just completely shut down and unplug. Or you can do a lot of very simple, easy things. Um, for me, that often means um, sometimes literally just getting up from my desk in the middle of the day and going for a walk around the block and going to get like 
a cookie or, you know, a little treat or, you know, some herbal tea or, you know, something that just gets me out of that cycle of stress. Um, and often it's going home, lighting a candle, taking a warm bath or a shower, making a cup of tea or having a glass of wine. I literally, I went home last night and I had a glass of wine, which I never do during <laughs> the week and I never do at home, but I had a really stressful day. Um, but then we also got some really great news about the business. And so I was like kind of frazzled and excited all at the same time. And I was like, I think I need a glass of wine. <laughs> Anything you could share? Any of the exciting news? Well, we found out from Ulta, who's our biggest retailer in the U.S., that they're going to roll us to an additional 200 stores yesterday. That's amazing. And that was That's really, awesome. really exciting. I'm um, a big Ulta fan and I live on 84th and 3rd. So I'm a yeah. block and a half away. <laughs> exactly. I'm in there all the time. I know. it is That store is like dangerous yes. for me. But um, that was very, very exciting for us and a really, really big deal. So I'm very excited and proud because we worked really, really hard to make that happen. Um, so, you know, that was just like a normal day. But like those are the kinds of things. We also um, – we have a massage therapist come to the office like once a month and do massages for everybody in the office. And it's just like 20 minutes in a, one of those massage chairs. Um, but that literally can change your entire day. Oh, yes, massages are. Courtney amazing. has a Courtney has a secret for you. A tip. That's not really a <laughs> secret. Oh, please There's share. Facebook advertising uh, on this company. Ev- basically everywhere, all types of advertising. Zeal. Have you ever tried Zeal? That's oh. who comes to our office. Oh, Wait, that Zeal wasn't the tip I was going to give. Oh, what was it? We have a massage chair in our office. Oh, at Cor- yes. <laughs> you know I haven't used that massage chair. <laughs> you see, in a really you guys. Long time. Oh, see, so you guys are on it. Like you are already we have there. Massage chair in the office. We still we we have had someone come do massages. A few times to the office. We do this like health company. They come and do a wellness I day. I should it. give you the name <gasps> of them too. Oh, we they do, do a complimentary wellness day for your team. I, I would love yes. to do that. And oh, they do massages, smoothies. I love that. Yes. So, I mean, you know, those are the things that I feel like give you that either moment of calm or that moment of pampering yourself. But it's so self-care mm. is something that I think a lot of women feel guilty about or like I shouldn't be taking the time to do this, but it, it's not a luxury. It is mandatory. I agree. It's so important. You have to take care of yourself or you can't take care of other people. Yeah, it's exactly true. And, you know, literally, that's why for me, too, is like the CEO of Skin Iceland, it's all about that moment that you have at the beginning of the day and at the close of your day where you're doing your self-care routine on your face because that is something that's like so personal, that moment where you actually take for yourself, it's very relaxing and it should be something very pleasurable. It smells good. The textures are lovely. It makes you feel beautiful. And so I that's why I feel like skincare is such a personal thing and should be part of that moment of care and relaxation. Absolutely. You've heard how Sarah's business has been succeeding, but things don't always go perfectly. Coming up, you'll hear about Sarah's biggest lessons learned along the way. Sarah, can you share with us a time or maybe several moments in the past several years where things just did not work out the way that you had intended? There are so many. We would need another podcast just to... (laughs) And another bottle of wine. Right, exactly. Just to talk about all them. Um, I would say probably my biggest, uh, scariest moment was um, I got to work one Friday morning and my operations person called me and said, are you sitting down? And I said, yes, what is it? Uh, And he said, well, uh, the manufacturer, our main manufacturer, uh, had declared Chapter 11 and the sheriff's office had come and padlocked the doors and all of our products were in there. So we could not ship anything and we could not make anything. 
And I thought for sure we were going to go out of business. When was this? This was in 2009. So what did you do in that moment? Did you take a few minutes to process and then you just sprung into action? Um, so I sat there. I called my – the first call was to my lawyer because always like your first thing is like what do I do? Who do I call? So I called my lawyer first and it turned out the landlord of the building – was a client of my lawyer's, <laughs> which was oh completely random. And it also turned out that the owner of the building uh, had a son that my husband um, used to babysit for. So we called the landlord and we said, we have some stuff there. And he said, you have 24 hours to get your stuff Where was this? Out. Where's the location? In New Jersey. It was in New Jersey. Okay. So we had oh, to hire a truck. Goodness. I had to have somebody like drive up there. In 24 and, like, hours. In 24 hours and like load up <laughs> all of our stuff and drive it to another. So then I called up the manufacturer that we used prior to that who had like asked us to leave because they had been bought and they were too big and couldn't manage our business. And so we called them. We're like, please, please take us back. Like just till we get everything up and running and then we'll, we'll find somebody else who's better suited to our business. And they took us back and we, we haven't left since. Wow. So you're and a problem solver. It. Yeah, that was that was literally that was an amazing one. There's been a few like that along the way. Tell us another one. Uh, uh, let's see. Well, the other probably equally as awful, may, maybe even worse. I have to say was that um, when I launched the line, we we sold at Sephora, and we had done we'd been like the star skincare brand at Sephora and every year we were like growing and they were adding more stores and we were doing so well. And in fact, they did a book one year when we were there like three years on all the founders and their stories and we were in the book. And the next meeting we went to, they they brought in a new person and uh, we went to the meeting and this woman was like, I don't understand your line. I just don't get it. And I don't really think our customers do either. And so we're going to exit your brand. Oh my gosh. And that was 80% of my distribution at the time. And we were in all stores, and they t said they were, gave us, like, a year to sort of phase us out. They nicely didn't pull us out, like, in a month because we would have gone out of business. Oh, they my gosh. said they would do it sort of slowly to let us sort of get our sea legs. Um, Did you then change your whole business strategy? I, I Yeah, I literally um, – I remember, like, leaving that meeting with um, – I had a VP at the time who was with me, and I felt like I was, like, always, like, the one bolstering her up and being positive. And I remember we went to the Starbucks right next to the offices, and I sat there. I was in a state of shock, and she sat there, and she was like, it's going to be fine. We're going to be great. And I was like, no, we're not. We're going out of business. She's like, don't say that. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> uh, somehow she had some foresight, but it was literally just, like, one day at a time, yeah. one foot in front of the other, and um, – it was like crisis managing probably for about two or three years wow. of just figuring out how to keep the lights on. Were you selling online then? We were selling online. Um, and, and my husband said to me at the time, like, you just need to figure out what – what to do to keep the lights on. Cut all the other expenses. Cut all the other costs. What do you need to do to keep the doors open? And that's what I did. I, like, sat with my P&L and I figured out, like – what is the minimum I could spend to just keep the business going? And I think that for me was like an aha moment because we didn't go out of business. There was still that customer that wanted the product. It like they wouldn't let it die. It was like people were like dying to get their antidote lotion and people That's were great. still calling and telling us about their stress stories. And, you know, it was a little bit before social media mm -hmm. too. So we couldn't really yet have that conversation publicly like we can now, but 
there was enough of, you know, people calling the office and, you know, purchasing that we knew, okay, there's something here that it's just like, it won't die. Like it's, there's something. So when you came into the office the next day, was your first step just finding new distribution partners, figuring out how to increase online sales on your own website? Well, unfortunately, this happened also in 2009. Mm -hmm. And as you know, this was like not a great time for business. And so retailers were not expanding. They were not adding new brands. They were not opening new doors. It was impossible for us to find new distribution. We tried, and we were a little unknown brand, and retailers were totally risk-averse during that time. And so we really couldn't expand distribution. And so um, I had to basically fire my entire team Mm -hmm. except for one person, which was awful. And um, I would come to the office every day and it was me and this other woman and we sat there and we would brainstorm all day like, okay, what are we going to do today? Like, who are we going to (laughs) call? What, you know, and we just brainstormed, brainstormed. We both called like everybody in our virtual Rolodex. And um, I, I literally did so many things that were out of the box, you know, from calling Mickey Drexler at J Crew because I'd worked with him at the Gap and I was like, have you guys thought about when he was at J Crew, have you thought about launching a skincare yeah. line at J Crew? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> and he was like, let me call you back. And he called me back the next day and he said, you know, actually a lot of my employees use your product. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah. He said, so I think you have something good there. He said, I don't know if we're ready for skincare. We're pursuing some other initiatives right now. He said, but you know, stick with it. I think you have something interesting there. Who else do you go to for advice? Um, that's a good question. It probably depends on the problem um, and the point in time. But um, you know, I have a lot of, you know, friends that I go to. Um, I mean, I used to ask my husband, I mean, he and I are getting divorced. So I don't really ask him for advice so much anymore. But, um, you know, sometimes it, like, sometimes I ask my daughter who's 11, you know, like I'll ask her about a product or a texture or package. Um, you know, if it's financial advice, um, it could be somebody on my board of directors. Um, if it's something about the industry, it's usually somebody like a work colleague that I really respect. Um, somebody who's, you know, had, realize some kind of success in some aspect of the business and who I really admire in some way. So it depends. Yeah, it's really important to have that network of people you can just go to with any kind of problem. Uh, Stephanie and I have been so <laughs> fortunate to have those types of people in, in our lives helping to guide us along the way. Uh, but I have a question about something you said said earlier about contacting J. Crew. What would you say is the most out of the box or craziest thing you've done in business? That was definitely one of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a good – well, you know, another thing we did was um, around that time, I decided to create this thing called the Stress Squad, and we had these T-shirts made, and we had um, some people on our team, um, and some people were not on our team, but I brought in for this specific purpose because we didn't have that many people on our team, and we would go to places like um, Grand Central Station – um, the public library, Rockefeller Center. This before social media? Before social okay. media um, in the middle of the holiday season and we would try to put eye gels on people and we would like video it. Oh my <laughs> it was really crazy. And we're like, do you want to do an eye gel? You look really, you know, you like you need some stress relief. And we would get people to try on eye gels in these totally crowded public spaces and we would like shoot videos of it. That was pretty crazy. Do you still have those videos? Are they on YouTube? I don't even know where they are. I'd have to like see if they're on there somewhere, buried somewhere. So that was pretty crazy. I'm sure there's like, I mean, I've done so many crazy things. 
Um, I'm sure there's more. <laughs> actually, you said something really interesting, uh, which is actually interesting to us because we we own a social media agency. You launched your business before social media was a thing. What did you do once social media was was popular? How did you how did you figure out what to do? Well, we came Aside to you guys. You tried to figure it out before you, you called us. I know. I think we were just starting and we called you and we're like, what do we do? What does this mean? <laughs> um, you know, I think there was like such a, a theory at that time, and you probably have experienced this too, where people were like, oh, just get a college student mm-hmm. to come and work for you. And get on social media. I mean, you know, those young people, they're so good at Instagram, but you know, it's so much more involved in that. And, you know, you really need a professional who knows what they're doing. Um, So I think at the beginning, just like everybody else, we were trying to figure it out. And I think because I started um, an internet company, people thought that I was the expert in digital. And, you know, I felt like, well, that was a long time ago. Even one year in digital is like 10 years in Mm -hmm. anything else. And I mean, I had started my company in 1999. I mean, that was like the dark ages. So, I mean, I didn't know anything. And I think we're just like trying to figure it out like everybody else. And, you know, I think we learned, we probably should have learned quicker because I think the people that really got on social media early and, you know, went all out, built big audiences and it's much harder to do that now. So I wish we'd been a little bit more aggressive early on, but I guess that's another lesson learned. Jump in in the beginning and just take that risk. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it, too, is like, you know, you got to see where there's an opportunity early on and be like the first one to go go, get in there. Like, you know, when we exited from Sephora and and you were asking me, like, what did I do? You know, I mean, one of the things I looked at was Ulta. I mean, none of the prestige brands were going to Ulta at the time. And I saw it at a moment that it was going to change, that they were going to start taking these prestige brands and being really competitive with Sephora. And I thought, you know, we better get in there because if we don't get in there now, we're never going to get in there. And this was like in 2013. And we ended up launching there in 2014. And, you know, as of March, we'll be in 800 stores. So, you know, that never would have happened if we went there now. So it's, I think, like in business, the more you can sort of be intuitive Mm -hmm. about where the opportunity is or where things are trending and get in there first, you're going to be a step ahead. Listening to that intuition and just going with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where do you think the industry is going? Um, There are so many exciting things happening in the industry. There's a lot of change and evolution, I would say, right now. Um, You know, I think there's sort of a coming together of product, services, tools, um, and real technology that is vastly changing the way people look. And I think, you know, 20 years ago, it was sort of hope in a jar. And now, you know, people look really different. I mean, I get on social media sometimes and I follow like a lot of like like Christy Brinkley and people who are older who look fabulous. And I find it really, really inspiring. I just had a birthday this week. So I've been thinking a lot about age. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, and so when I see, you know, women who are like 63 and looking like young and sexy and beautiful, it's like, you know, our idea of like 60 or 70 today is not the way it was Mm -hmm. 20 years ago. And I think that's where beauty is going. It's like, you know, we, it's not that we want to look fake or we want to look like somebody other than we are. We want to keep that youthful energy and we want to be vital and we want to be engaged. And that really links to beauty also. And so I think beauty is more and more helping people like live that vital energetic life into their, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s. 
Yeah, and we always hear that too. People are always talking about millennials. We got to appeal to millennials. Uh, but there's definitely a demographic of women that um, do buy online. They have a lot of purchasing power and they do need products and services that, that will appeal to them. Yeah, women yeah. 40 plus are spending a significant amount of time yeah, I mean, on Facebook, social really, media, Instagram. It's really an important segment. I mean, we do target millennials and it's kind of like where I was when I started the line. Um, and I think, you know, What's going on there? It's very interesting. Is that you know the the twenty five year old consumer used to not be interested at all in anti aging, and now they're very interested in preventative and mm-hmm. having those wrinkles not show up and having that flawless complexion. So we are almost marketing a similar message to the forty five year old as we are to the twenty five year old, which is kind of bizarre. That's really really different. Um, and and the millennial has like a different philosophy, you know, on another hand, in terms of um, being very educated about products, very demanding about products, you know, wanting brands to be authentic mm-hmm. and honest. Um, and so that that's another aspect of the industry that I think is really where things are going more and more, um, you know, people want the products that are healthy, that, um, you know, and, and are not like just using a line on the front that says, you know, like we use lavender, but then you turn it around and there's all kinds of chemicals right. in there. Like it has to be authentic. I hate when natural. you just can't understand anything that's in a product. I'm like, right. Okay, then I can't use it. Right, right. Exactly. Like, I don't know what that is yeah. and I'm not a chemist and I don't have time to figure it out. And so I think there's like a lot more of that going on and people, you know, because of social media and because of the internet, like taking a more, a more proactive approach in their beauty, you know, like what is in my product? What are the brands out there? What are they all offering? It's like a very, very educated and sophisticated consumer. And so as a brand, we also need to be like one step ahead, prepared, open to, you know, being very open about our brand, not hiding anything and, you know, having that really honest conversation with our customer too. Well, speaking of social media, I know you do this with your audience, surprising and delighting them when you have super fans. Well, we like to do something special on our show where we surprise and delight our guests. So the flowers that are sitting next to you are actually for you on brand with Whiskin Iceland. Then we also have some special treats here. That's so nice. Oh my gosh! Thank yes, you there's so an much. envelope in there that um, has a special so um, present for you. Oh my gosh. And we follow you on Instagram, obviously. We have for years. So no way. We've seen some of the things <laughs> that you love. Oh, my gosh. You guys are amazing. <gasps> Thank you so much. So, so this is a card for a class at AKT, which is, like, my favorite workout in the world. I had never heard of it until I saw me about it. What? Obsessed. What? I'm so obsessed. excited about it. Well, and, and it's not, like, a new thing for me. I've been doing it for three and a half years. Oh, wow. Um, so Anna Kaiser, um, is the creator of AKT. So it's Anna Kaiser technique. And, um, so she's an entrepreneur slash choreographer, um, but she was a professional dancer and she decided to create this workout routine. Um, and there's, there's like a dance, dance cardio, there's tone, there's like bands and weights and there's different classes, but I, fell in love with the dance cardio because I used to dance when I was growing up and I there's something for me (laughs) about like going into this what they do is like you go into a dark room there's some like sexy lights it's like warm and you just go in and like dance it out to really loud music you like sweat and um, it's just really really fun and yet it's super intense so it's like an amazing workout and 
it's totally changed my whole figure, but um, it's also really, really fun, so it doesn't feel like you're exercising. I need to try it. I'm always looking for a good new workout. I've I've tried a lot of different techniques, but it's by far my favorite, and I just can't. How often like, are you doing it? I mean, I used to go five days a week. Um, now that I'm a single mother running a company, I've, it's a little hard for me. Um, so I try to go three days a week. Where is um, it? It's on 84th and 2nd, and um, that's the uptown location. Then there's a Nomad location. Well, that's if you ever really need to drop day. your daughter off on 84th and 3rd <laughs> for an you. hour, you can run over there Thank and watch her for an hour. She can play with my puppy. <laughs> I was going to say, once you have your kids, she can babysit yeah, for you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Do that. You a lot of extra hands. Well, thank you. That was really, really thoughtful. Enjoy. Coming up, we'll brainstorm Sarah's next big idea, and Sarah will leave us with her most important tips when starting a business. A common theme from all of the guests we've interviewed on our podcast so far is that they've all relied on support from other women through groups. So we decided to start an Entreprenista Facebook group. Head on over to Facebook and search Entreprenistas. We really wanted to create a community for Entreprenistas to connect, share ideas, help each other solve problems, and learn from all of our collective experiences. If you join the group, it's really a safe space to talk about being an entrepreneur, sharing your wins, asking for help when needed. It's going to be an exciting 2019, and we can't wait to meet you so we can learn and grow together. So something fun that we always love to do with our guests is a brainstorm. It's a 60-second brainstorm where Stephanie and I will just spit out ideas on a specific topic. So is there anything right now in your business that you need help with? Or ideas for? Um, well, how about social media? Because we'd like to grow our Instagram more. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's see Start where you're at clock. now. And let's put 60 seconds on the clock. Stand by. All right, Sarah. On your Instagram stories right now, are you getting on your Instagram stories at least a few times a week as the founder of the company and talking to everyone? No. Guilty. Definitely <laughs> guilty social media jail. You have to do that. It's very, very important as the, the face of your brand to communicate with your customers because uh, as you may have seen other beauty brands, they have spokespeople going on their Instagram channels and talking to their customers all day, every day. So it's definitely very, very important. And then something I would say too quickly is um, to leverage influencers. And I know we would share this with you when you were a client, but you have to. It's not too late. It's really not too late to start leveraging influencers, uh, host influencer parties every quarter. I think there's a lot of fun that you can have uh, playing along with the theme of your brand uh, and influencers. And maybe you've seen this, uh, but there are a lot of uh, fun parties that influencers are invited to that incorporate all of the elements of of a specific brand. and, And we happen to know a ton of influencers <laughs> would love to attend. We should plan well, a Valentine's Day Skin Iceland influencer event. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love that idea. Let's or do is it. there, I think that there was, if I can remember correctly, a stress day, an anti-stress day. There is. What day is that? I should know the answer to that. I, I want to say it's, no. I think it might be in November. I think we ju- it just happened. I'm going to tell you. It is, you're right, it is November 7th, is National Stress Awareness Day. So we just missed it. So let's go for Valentine's Day for this event, and then next November we'll do a influencer event around uh, National Stress Day. Let's do it. Oh, yeah, let's plan it. It'll be so fun. So I know we're over one minute, 
But that was a good brainstorm, so we had to extend a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but Sarah, have to get on that Instagram account, and you can learn so much from your audience, and you can ask them what they want to hear you talk about, and you can learn from them and get feedback, which I'm sure you've done that before. I have. Yeah. Like, I, I rarely do that, though, so that's a very good tip, and I will definitely – Bring that back. You have to. Courtney put you in social media jail, so yeah. you got to get out. you got to get out of Courtney's jail. <laughs> the only way to get out is to make Instagram stories. What would you say, Sarah, has been really the most rewarding aspect of being your own boss? I, I think, um, well, aside from just the feeling of like the reward, self-reward that you get from creating your own thing and realizing your vision, I mean, certainly that's incredibly gratifying. Um, but I think there's just like a certain flexibility that you have to your life that you can't have in a company. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, with a young child, it's really great. Like I've never missed like a recital or a, an important teacher, you know, parent teacher meeting. And, you know, those are the things for me that are really, really important. And as much as I love what I do, like those things are priorities also. And so it's nice that I can work when I'm productive mm -hmm. or when my schedule allows like there are days when I get into the office at 11 in the morning um and I'm sure my team is like where were you but you know I've been up since six in the morning and I've been really busy but then I'll work on the computer let's say till midnight yeah, yeah I feel the exact same way I mean I think I'm on my phone actually I know how long I'm on my phone now because of the new <laughs> yeah, Apple yeah. update that tells you and it's, yes. it's not it's, it's not, not good it's not good I so know. even if I'm not in the office you know first thing at you know 8 45 in the morning I'm at home on my right. phone or at an appointment and I'm right. like literally sitting in the doctor's office sending emails right. until I'm called right. and it's just and what you do. Right. Like that's the good and the bad of it. You can work everywhere and so you're working all the time. Yeah. What would you say are the biggest lessons learned that you would want to share with other fellow entrepreneurs? Um, I, I do think, you know, in a sense, putting things in perspective. I mean, I have definitely pursued my business almost to a fault um, or I should say almost to um, – the effect of everything else. I mean, I put it first. And so I things, other things have suffered. My marriage suffered. My um, personal life suffered. Um, my interests suffered, you know. So, I mean, I think sometimes a little perspective and pr prioritization is, is a good thing. Um, but I think it's hard. Like when you're so obsessed, mm -hmm. um, it's really hard to turn that off. Did you know in the moment as you've been running the business that other areas of your life were suffering or not until things were too late? Uh, no, I kind of knew at the time, but it was just really hard to stop. Like I would say like I should stop, but then I would say, well, but I just have to like answer this email mm -hmm. or, or I have to finish this project or I have to go on this trip or like I, I can't say no to this particular opportunity. And, you know, the more and more you do that, the more and more you alienate certain aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard. I mean, the other thing, which is a more, um, I think, nuts and bolts type of thing is that, um, you know, we raised – um, little bits of money um, a lot of times. And I would not recommend that too. Mm -hmm. I think you either like invest big at the beginning and explode it out or you know you want to grow the business really, really slowly and you kind of self-fund it. But you don't like try to grow big without raising money. And, you know, you got to figure out what course you're on and then proceed appropriately um, based on the financial needs of either one of those um strategies. Are you still actively raising money now? I feel like I'm always raising money. <laughs> it never stops. <laughs> yeah, pretty much always. 
And for someone who's first starting a business now and they know in order to grow and scale their business, they need to raise money. Yeah. Do you have any tips for someone aside from what you shared, you know, just raise raise more friends so you're not doing it along well, the way? But you know, how do you what what's even the first step to raising money? What do you do? Well, you know, it's funny. I read a book recently that is one of my favorite books of all time, and it's called Shoe Dog, and it's the um, Phil Knight of Nike. It's his story. And, you know, it's so ironic to read that he was always like cash strapped and robbing Peter to pay Paul. And, you know, even with a company like Nike that, you know, you think of being such a huge success and being a billion, billions of dollars company, um, but years and years of like struggle and, you know, like trying to be resourceful and creative and feeling like they're going out of business. I mean, it just is like very funny because I think there are so many businesses like that and we just get sort of, um, you know, fooled by like hearing all these stories of these overnight billionaires. But um, there are so many of us entrepreneurs out there working, working and struggling. And, you know, I had somebody tell me like it takes 10 years to be an overnight success and that's, that's really it. So, I mean, I think you know, just like getting back to your question about like raising money, um, you know, whether you're raising it from friends and family, whether you're raising it from professional investors, institutional money, um, you know, I think you have to like come up with a list of criteria for your business. Like how big do you want your business to be? Um, you know, how long do you want it to take to get there? Do you have an exit strategy? I mean, those are like all the things you want to ask yourself. And then just sort of your financing strategy as an outgrowth of, you know, what, what ends up being on your list. Oh, interesting. So what's next for Skin Iceland and what's next for you? Literally, when you walk out this door right now, where are you going? <laughs> well, back to the office. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing new there. Um, but, you know, we're really, really looking at exponential growth um, in the next couple of years. Um, you know, we want to be a $100 million brand. And, um, you know, we're definitely on our on our way to getting there. I mean, you know, I think you, you have this viewpoint when, or at least I have, like, I always thought, oh, when I'm this big, it'll be amazing, you know? And when I'm that big, if I ever get to that point, it'll be like so incredible, you know? And I've, I've reached a few of those benchmarks already. And now it just doesn't seem like such a big deal. And now I'm already on to like what the next one is. So, um, you know, I, I do take a moment to like enjoy it and appreciate it and celebrate it. But then I'm already kind of on to the next thing. What surprised you the most about being a woman in business? Well, a couple of years ago, I was asked to speak at Columbia Business School where, I, where I'm an alum. And um, before I went to speak to a class, I did a little bit of research online. And in 2016, there was an article that came out um, in Forbes, and it talked about women-owned businesses. And it said that only 2% of women-owned businesses grossed more than a million dollars a year. That was a really shocking statistic for me. And it's made me now for the last couple of years really feel very passionate about the subject of women in business and why aren't women starting and creating businesses that are bigger and um, and how this is such a huge, huge void in the marketplace. And, you know, I've been talking to a lot of women and asking the question at Columbia Business School and researching it and feel lucky to know lots of amazing dynamic women and asking them why, why they think. And, you know, it's really that women are not thinking big enough um, they don't have the confidence to go out and say, I'm going to create a hundred million dollar business. And a lot of times they're like, I'm going to have a little business and, you know, have five employees. Um, and there also aren't enough women in the financial markets to give money to women owned businesses. And so there need to be more women going into private equity and venture capital. Um, there needs to be more women, um, you know, supporting other women going into business, mentoring women. Um, I think, 
you know, 20 or 30 years ago, there weren't a lot of women entrepreneurs, so there aren't a lot of mentors out there. So now we have to like take that role of mentoring the women that are coming after us. So I think there's a lot of things that kind of need to change, including men um, supporting women as well um, and being the ones that give um, opportunity and help them break into some of these areas where they're not currently. And we've been watching your journey over the last several years, and we're absolutely rooting for you, and we know that you'll hit those benchmarks. Uh, something we like to ask is, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? It, it The word to me sounds like an entrepreneur who's like on the cutting edge and who's trending and who's like always thinking out of the box and pushing the envelope. And um, I would like to think that I try to practice that as much as I can. Um, I love it. Perfect. Love it. You are an entrepreneurista. Yes. <laughs> Proudly. And thank <laughs> you so much for coming on the show. And I know you've brought a special code for our listeners who have tried your products before or maybe haven't tried your products before and need some eye gels or maybe some of the new products that you're launching. Yes. We're launching a fabulous new brightening mask in January um, that just feels amazing. It's a full face mask and it helps like – even out skin tone, brighten the skin, helps with reduce hyperpigmentation. Um, but the code we're giving out is fresh skin, spelled S-K-Y-N, of course, um, for 15% off. And if you're feeling stressed or you know that you have a stressful period coming up, maybe a wedding or a job interview or a business trip, um, it's a great time to try Skin Iceland to try to bring a little sense of calm to your life. I gave all of my bridesmaid Skin Iceland products in there. I love that. In their bridesmaid bags. And I, I was a bridesmaid that. and I loved it. Everyone had their eye gels on. We took <laughs> pictures. I think we sent them to Marilee too. <laughs> we actually just got – somebody that works for us in the field just sent us pictures yesterday of – I guess she got – went to a wedding or got married and all the groomsmen put on the eye gel. Oh, that's amazing. Us See, that makes good content. That's the next, next evolution. There you go. Well, where can everyone find you and follow you on social? So we are at Skin Iceland. Um, and then also Sarah Skin is my personal. And we're going to see more of you all over. I know it. <laughs> thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Love you guys. Thank you so much. We love you too. And thank you to everyone who tuned in this week. We will be back next week for another episode with an incredible entrepreneurista. Until then, I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneurs. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurspodcast.com. Entrepreneurista is produced by Mouth Media Network for Socialfly. Copyright 2019, Socialfly, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening.